Our good and our holy God, we gather today in the name of Jesus. We gather under the confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. God, as a church family, we offer ourselves to you afresh today. And as we open your word together, our prayer is, speak. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, saying together, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You move so well up and down. Bodies in motion. If you're alive, you're moving, right? I mean, have you ever been to a funeral home and just wanted to make sure, you know, you kind of lean, lean over there? People that are alive move. And we speak of movement all the time from season to season, from thing to thing, opportunity to opportunity. Uh, and in common language, there's a couple of ways that this is done. Sometimes people say, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Most of the time when they say something like that, they have the rear view mirror in mind and what's in it. Some experience that they they have had that that they're moving on from. Now, they're not always sure where they're headed, but they know what they're leaving behind. I'm moving on. Another way people talk about this experience is to say, I'm moving forward. And in that, there's a, there's a little more life and a little more vitality to it. There's a sense that there's something in, in the future for me. There's something God has prepared for me. There is a fresh opportunity over here. Certainly, I've been somewhere and I've done something, but, but there's something out there in, in front of me. I'm moving forward. Sisyphus moved on. You remember that poor old guy? He just got trapped in a Greek hell where he pushed a boulder to the top of the hill only at the end of the day to see that boulder tumble down to the bottom of the hill again. Well, at the end of the day, he could say, I'm moving on. And so many of us are trapped in a Sisyphean cycle of life where we're just just handling things, stuck in the malaise, and, and we move on from one boulder to the next day after day after day after day. In the Old Testament, Hagar moved on. And when the angel of the Lord met her and said, Where have you come from and where are you going? She could only say, I'm running from my mistress, Sarah. There was something in her past, but she was very unclear about her future. She was, she was moving on. But God's, God's people, God's people that have been touched by his mercy and his grace, we move forward. We move forward with the light of eternity in our eyes. Our future snatches us from one experience to another. And some of those experiences are very, very difficult and painful and trying. And we get through them. But on the other side, we believe that there is life and there is hope and there is God. We move forward. But so often we forget that. So often... So often we live out the story of the rolling boulder and not the boulder that was rolled away. And we get it at home and comfortable in a world where most everybody just moves on. 
I started eating out of the offering plate when I was 19 years old. I was given a job at the Jones Memorial Presbyterian Church. God love them, and I'll never forget them. They had more desperation than sense, so they hired me to be their youth minister. The year before, I was driving the van, and they handed me a set of keys to the van. I was a youth pastor, uh, and I was a Baptist, and so a lot of those people looked at me with kind of squinty eyes, and they, they were wondering about how this was going to work. Uh, and, but they, were, they, they risk it. They call me. And I'll never forget the first Sunday night I was there. I met their youth group. They hadn't had any attention in about three years, and it showed. I mean, I did, I did all I could just to keep them from burning the place down. I left the room, and there was a guy, one of these kind of guys who was really not on board with hiring this young Baptist youth pastor. And he said to me, Do you even believe in total depravity? I said, believe in it. I've seen it. It's right there in your youth room. <laughs> I had more boldness and sense, you know. And so, and so I had to come up with a game plan. And so the next Sunday night, I took from the children's area of the church all the little children's toys. And I made and moved all the little tables, all the little chairs, and I moved them in there to the youth room. And I welcomed the youth, and I said, come and sit at your, sit at your seat. Your names are all here on the right before you on your table, uh, and I gave them all those Bible school cookies, you know, you could put on your pinky finger, and a little shot glass of juice. They knew their way around a shot glass, but they hadn't had juice in years. And uh, so I laid all that out there in front of the kid, and I said, go ahead and have your snack. We're going to start out with a snack. And so we had the snack, and I said, after the snack is over, meet me over there on the carpet and sit. Uh, we used to call it Indian style before it came crisscross applesauce. We were still a little politically incorrect back in those days. Uh, but I'll clean it up for consumption. Go over there and sit crisscross applesauce on the rug, kids. I'm going to read you the story. And I took them over there and I read them the story. And I said, after the story, kids, we're going to go play with the toys and they're provided for you over in the other corner. And so we're about 25 minutes into this and I kept a straight face the whole time. And finally, one of the little hooligans looked at me and said, what are we doing here? I said, we're, we're having church. This is how you started out here, wasn't it? In fact, I bet some of you played with these toys, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I, played, I remember that. I said, in so many areas of life, we just assume we're going to grow. We're going we're to move forward. We're going to mature. I said, but it seems to me like we've all gotten very comfortable with the fact in our, in our walk with God, in our spiritual growth, that, that we can just park someplace. I said, it's not okay. It's not okay. I don't know if they got that little parable, but I tell you, that parable haunts my heart. Because from time to time, the Spirit of God will whisper, Matt, you remember those toys? Remember what a big shot you were with those kids in that youth room? You still like the cookies, don't you, sport? You still like the cookies. God has called us to grow, to move forward. If we're okay with the fact we have those same sorry attitudes we had 35 years ago, there's something fundamentally not right about that. The season of Lent is a springtime season of new life. It's a time patterned after those 40 days of Jesus where he just sought out God, where he duked it out with the devil. It's a time for us. It's a time for us to look deep. And to recommit ourselves to moving forward in God because God would have us to move forward. He would have us to grow. 
for, for the next five weeks, that's what we're going to talk about in this church. We'll take those, those second readings, those readings from the epistles that millions of Christians around the world will read together during this season. We'll take those, those texts of Scripture and we'll look at, and scour those texts for the invitation, for the call to move forward, to grow, to mature, to, to come from the place where we are to the place where we, where we can be. I'm defining uh, salvation for us, salvation in the present tense, as moving forward. For us to understand this, this life of moving forward, we have to understand what God has done to bring it about in our world. And to understand that, we have to deal with and understand how the Bible deals with this, this idea of being saved. Or experiencing by grace the salvation that God offers. Scripture speaks of salvation in a, in a number of tenses. If you were to take out your little steno pad, your, your pencil, and, and you would draw with me a picture, maybe just do it in your mind, that there is a point, there is a beginning point. There's a beginning point of our new life with God where His grace and, and our trust meet and, and we're made new because of His mercy. That beginning point gives us a, a beginning point, a beginning point to move forward. This is why in Ephesians 5, 8, it, it would say, by grace you have been saved. Uh, as Christian people, we can look back on that experience with God and we can say, I have been saved. Scripture speaks of salvation in a present tense, process kind of way. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you had a, if you had a dot that was a starting point, that would be the line, that, that long line, that, that process, that life, and that's moving forward in the grace of God. And then you'd have maybe an arrow point at the other end of that, uh, language of consummation, future tense. We will be saved through him Romans 5, 9 to 10. So when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about a work of God's mercy and grace in a past, present, and future tense. Those who will be saved in the future, in God's good future, are being saved in the present. And those that are being saved in the present have been saved by His grace in the past. That present tense salvation is that moving forward in life with God. And to get that, to have that rooted in biblical truth, we have to begin at the beginning. And the beginning is our salvation with God. The focal text for today highlights this in the most beautiful way. And that text is Romans 10 verses 8 through 13. Let me, let me read it. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a text about the 
scandalously simple gospel. It's about God's mercy being fleshed out in the earth. It's about easy and equal access to the life that is in God. For a few moments, I want to linger over this scandalously simple message, highlighting first the easy access to salvation. Here Paul begins by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30. In the end of Deuteronomy, uh, this is the words. It says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. The book of Romans, there's this beautiful comparison and contrast between the law and the gospel. And here again, those two things come together. And here it is a comparison What's what's similar about the giving of the law and the call of of God's people to respond and and the preaching of the gospel? What what are the similarities? Well, well, here it's highlighted that the similarities, the first one, is the ease of of access to this. Moses, he basically looks at him and he says, this is a work of God's grace. He has put the cookies on the lowest possible shelf. God has come to us and he has offered us his, his life. This isn't rocket science, he would say to them. This isn't brain surgery. And some of you have fooled around with rockets and done surgery on brains. Way to go. Clap for you. It's not even too difficult for you. He says, we don't have to climb the mountains or or jump into heaven. We don't have to swim the depths of the seas. It has been brought to you. It It has been brought to you. And this was Paul's emphasis about the gospel, that the gospel wasn't some kind of esoteric knowledge. It wasn't wasn't breaking some code. It, It wasn't walking across some desert on a horse with no name. It was about God and His grace. It wasn't about human heroics. It was about divine humility. That He would come and he would offer. And that's the comparison. If we want to begin to move forward in life, we have to begin with this profound notion that God has come and he has offered. And if we're going to begin with him, we're going to have to begin first as receivers, as gracious recipients of a gift. The comparison was to the ease of access And to the call to response, Moses says, choose, choose, choose. And it was an offer made in good faith, and the writer of of Romans would call us to choose, to respond in faith to the grace that was displayed in Christ, living and dying for us, suffering for us to bring us to God. Charles Talbert says of this response to the gospel, It is a relational, not a mechanical or magical response. 
It's one involving the whole person, inner and outer. It is the direction and directed to the risen Jesus who rules in heaven and who rules in the human heart. Moses, Paul, God has come and God has offered. And you must choose. That's the beginning point of our, of our moving forward. It's choosing this day whom we will serve. What gift we will receive. The gospel is not we do what God has done. And the reception of that gift is life. And it is hope. If anybody knew anything about moving forward, about progressing, it was John Bunyan. Bunyan wrote a book that has been read by probably more people than most other books. I mean, massively widely read book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you have read that book. It's about progressing. It's about moving forward in a journey of faith. A lesser-known book of Bunyan's is his testimony, Grace Abounding. Bunyan had a difficult time receiving the gift, the free gift of God, because he was tortured by his own brokenness. He was tortured by his own sin. And there were times where he wasn't sure that his sin wasn't so big that God's grace uh, couldn't deal with it. And he tells, uh, he tells about two experiences that helped move him forward in life. And that was the, the, the gospel words, the scriptural words of hope being impressed into his heart. Bunyan said, I remember that one day as I was traveling into the country and musing on the wickedness and blasphemy of my heart, and considering the enmity that was in me to God, that the scripture came to my mind, having made peace through the blood of his cross. By this I was made to see both again and again that God and my soul were friends by his blood. Yes, I saw that the justice of God and my sinful soul could embrace and kiss each other through his grace. This was a good day to me. I hope I will never forget it. At another time, as I sat by the fire in my house and was musing on my, my wretchedness, the Lord made this also a precious word to me. And so much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all lifetime subject to bondage. I thought that the glory of these words was then so weighty on me that I was once or twice ready to faint, faint as I sat, yet not with grief and trouble, but with solid joy and peace. God wants us to move forward, and he wants us to move forward with solid joy and with peace. And we grow, we progress in life in peace and in joy when we are settled in the fact that we are God's and God is ours. And if you're scrapping for that right now, you'll never achieve it because that is a gift to be received. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have ever lasting life do you believe in Jesus do you have his life easy 
access to salvation. Verses 11 to 13 highlight something else. They highlighted the equal access to salvation. Here the writer of Hebrews talks about Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders. That everyone had an opportunity because of God's big heart, because of God's kindness and mercy, to come to Him and to live. Scott McKnight talks about the church being a fellowship of difference. There is the dream in the heart of God that His churches would be places where men and women that are rich and poor, every shade of the rainbow, Ph.D. and G.E.D., could worship together and love together and serve together as brothers and sisters in Christ. The book of Romans, in the earlier pages, it said this, Is is God the God of the Jews only? If He created all things, then doesn't that make Him the God of all people, Jews and non-Jews, insiders and outsiders alike? Yes, He is also the God of all the outsiders, circumcised and uncircumcised. To be with Him. That is the way of faith. Romans 3, 29 to 30. Now I'll be honest with you. God has a very inefficient dream. It's a whole lot easier when everybody's the same. You say, God, if you've never read Donald McGavern, what's your problem? Why you gotta talk about all this difference? All this new, all, all these different kind of people together. Why is that the dream in your heart? It'd be so much easier if we were all just alike. Not long ago, I read the, the little novel, The Giver by Lois Lowry. That novel's about a utopian world where everything is just as efficient as can be. They've pushed aside difference in eye color and hair color. They've made every road smooth. The food shows up on time. The garbage goes out on time. You think, oh, that sounds so great just to have something work like a clock until they had it and they determined that their utopia was a dystopian hell. There was a scene in that book where a young man is talking to an old man, the giver and the receiver of memories and history and dreams. And the young man wanted to know what happened to snow and to hills. And this is what he said. Snow and the rest of it, (laughs) climate control. Snow made growing food difficult, limited agricultural periods, and unpredictable weather made transportation almost impossible at times. It wasn't a practical thing, so it became obsolete when we went to sameness, sameness with a capital S. And hills, too, he added, uh, they were made convenience of, of, of goods unwieldy. Trucks, buses slowed, slowed them down, so he waved his hand as if in a gesture he called the hills to disappear. Sameness, he concluded. Sameness. Sameness makes things efficient. And lifeless. And God made his church out of Jews and Gentiles and of every nation in the earth. And when you get to the book of Revelation and you read about those worship scenes in Revelation, there's not a colorblind person in heaven. 
because they can hear the language of the kings of the earth around the throne of the Lamb. No, the goal is not colorblindness. When we say we're colorblind, we're lying, or either we're deceiving ourselves. We are not. Because God made the colors, and they're beautiful. God made the differences, and they're beautiful. Our goal is not to wash them away, but to see them in light of the glory of Christ Jesus. And His mercy is wide. And His mercy narrows at the foot of the cross. He's offered equal access to the world, but He's called the world and all of its kings to bow at His feet, recognizing that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is a deep wideness in the mercy of God, and it narrows at the door that enters into the kingdom. This is the twin scandal of the gospel. If we're going to go forward, we must begin at the beginning. And the beginning is about the ease of access to salvation that God has come for us. Would you receive his gift of life? It's about the equal access to salvation. Meaning we all come to God the same way with empty hands waiting to be filled. No one swaggers into the kingdom. God's not lucky to have any of us. But he wants all of us. That's the beauty and the scandal of the gospel. And so the questions before us today, the first one. Are we... Are you, are you moving forward in life? Or do you move on from one thing to the next? If you're moving forward, if you are being saved, it's likely because you have been. You've been saved from yourself and the pressure to be God. You've been saved from the burden of your sinfulness. You've been saved from shame. You've been saved unto purpose, to meaning, and to value. One of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible is found in Colossians, where it says, As ye have received him, Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. If you've received Christ, how'd you do it? You did it by humbly asking him for the gift that he offered. Receiving it by faith. Responding in gratitude. If you have been saved, that's how it happened. So how do we grow? How do we move forward? The same way. Day by day, moment by moment, we receive the gifts that come from God's hand. The, the strength of his spirit. The love that he would pour in our hearts by his spirit. We receive freely from a God that gives. We would return thanks and we would live out of that rhythm. And walking in Him as we received Him, we grow, we mature, we celebrate, we move forward. I confess to you, I want that in my own life. There's a lot of cookies I've enjoyed 
for far too long. I got a hunch. There's more than one or two in here that know what that means. God, we thank you for new days. We thank you for this day, this Sunday, this new day where Christians all around the world celebrate the resurrection. We join with them on this Lord's Day. And we thank you for the gift of a new morning. God, we pray by your Spirit that you would empower us to move forward. Move forward to life that you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand up. We're going to sing. And as we sing, if you have made decisions in the privacy of your heart, you believe that you would make them publicly today, we invite you to come as we sing this song together. David?